Welcome back to Sale Organised Style Podcast. Hi, I'm Maria Thea Harris or Velosos, and today is Sober 50 Thursday. Sale Organised Style Podcast acknowledges traditional owners of country throughout Australia and recognises the continuing connection to lands, waters and community. We pay our respects to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures and to the Elders past, present and emerging. A big sponsor shout out goes to our two podcast friends and sponsors. The Australian Sewing Guild, who has been our Monday Daily Series regular, is now a sponsor of Sew Organised Style Podcast. Go to ozsew.org to check out the online workshops, sew alongs, skills library and more. Our second sponsor is Tatiana's School of Couture as she launches it online. Go to her website to see her new online sewing classes and patterns. Listeners, thank you for joining us again on Sober 50 Thursday. Today, we're going to speak to a wonderful sewer that I'm sure that you know. And if you are on Sober 50, you will have seen Morriso. So today, let's give a warm welcome to Trisha. Hi. Hi, Maria. Lovely to be here. Thank you. Thank you for your time today. You're very welcome. I feel very honoured to be here. Oh, I feel honoured that you're here too. (laughs) This is an Australian podcast. So would you like to tell our listeners whereabouts you live? Uh, Indeed. I live in rural Wiltshire in England. Um, So it's the southwest. If you were getting a weather forecast, that's what you'd need to hear. The southwest. It's um, just off the M4 corridor. Great. Between Swindon and Bath and Chippenham and Malmesbury. Oh, wow. Okay. I live in a village, so it's rural. I live next to a farm. Do the chickens wake you up in the morning? The chickens don't. The guinea fowl are noisy at all sorts of the time of the day and night. And we used to be woken by cows, but they've since stopped doing dairy. And they now, largely, they do horses. So they look after them. Livery. So they look after horses for people. If you wanted to go riding, that's where you'd go. If you wanted to put your horse somewhere and you didn't own your own fields, stables, this is where you'd go. And in this area, if you want to go and hunt, this is where you come. Oh, wow. Hunting is such a different hobby that I've not really delved into. No, I don't do horses, just they happen to be next door to me. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, all right, let's move along then. (laughs) You're here to talk about sewing, but I really love the fact that you've described where you live. It sounds lovely. It is. And we've been very lucky to be here. We came in 2004 when my husband's job brought him to this area. And it was one of those things where we either needed to buy a house or we needed to send our children to boarding school. We decided on the house. He was army. And so we were always moving and they couldn't keep moving schools. It's not fair. So it was stop or boarding. Mm. We stopped. I've seen you on Instagram quite a bit. So Trisha, tell our listeners about your sewing journey goodness I've been sewing since I was 11 so that's rather a long time I've no doubt that like many people I did sew before that in primary school cross stitch yes and made a mat for your mother so I didn't really sew until I went to secondary school aged 11 and we had sewing classes they were fairly standard I think across the world you know lots of people in the sew over 50 group talk about the fact that they learned to sew at school although many did learn from their mums but I didn't I learned from at school my mother did sew as did my grandmother they were definitely dressmakers 
Mum made a lot of stuff for herself and her children's clothes, but the thing she was really good at was knitting. So she knitted everything we had, which resulted in some interesting garments. <clears throat> <laughs> Sounds like another story there. <laughs> I had brothers, both younger than me, but the next one down from me was bigger than me within a couple of years of being born. And so clothes went up to me and down to my youngest brother. So I got quite a lot of boys' clothes. There we go. That's how it was. So I didn't learn to sew from her, but I knew about sewing. I knew of it. And I have got all my mother's patterns and my grandmother's patterns and quite a lot of sewing notions and bits and bobs, which is why I don't buy patterns, because I've got more patterns than you could shake a stick at and things just keep coming back, don't they? And they would be patterns made by companies that no longer exist anymore. Would that be right? Some of them are. But to be honest, I mean, you know, they're from the days when simplicity and vogue Style, I think, was another one. McCall's. I mean, all these people, they existed, but they were all separate companies. They weren't one conglomerate. Yeah. And they were separate companies with their own IDs and their own pattern sizes and what have you, and their own designs. And, of course, they were single-sized. They weren't, you know, where you get 30 sizes on a pattern. They were the size you chose. Yeah. I have lots of those. But So they sewed, but they didn't teach me. I learned to sew when I went to school. And I loved it. It was something I really enjoyed doing. Um, the teacher was inspirational. I boarded. Okay. My father was also army, so I boarded. And I liked boarding and I loved school and I loved sewing and therefore I did it. And I did O-level needlework and then A-level needlework because it was the one thing that I really enjoyed doing. And so I decided that I was going to save British industry by joining the clothing industry. So I went to the London College of Fashion where I studied production management, yep. which meant we did designing, pattern cutting, understanding of fibres and fabrics, history of costume, garment manufacturing, a bit of machine mechanics, human resources, sales, marketing. It sounds pretty extensive. It was four years, what they called in those days a sandwich course. So it was um, three years of college and a year of industry. And I worked in a factory in Shoreditch, which was near college, for about four or five months, where I'd spent a week in every department within the factory, which included being allowed to actually sew. Oh. I was put on the lowliest department because I did know how to sew and use a sewing machine. I made linings. I started on skirt linings, and then I was eventually allowed to do jackets and coats because we made, in that factory, ladies' wear for places like Harrods. Wow. Which even you know, across the world, people might have heard of that. So it was short runs, small quantities, beautifully made, tailored ladies' wear was what we made and that was quite a baptism of fire because of course in a factory you don't use pins so I was making my linings without pins which is quite an ask frankly that is skilled that is very skilled <laughs> but consequently I now rarely use pins and I don't teach sewing with pins because I think if you need to put a pin in you should feel free to do it but you don't necessarily need to think do you need a pin one point in my sewing life, I made children's wear. And you can imagine the trouble you'd have been in if a pin had got into your garment. True. And out into the world. Yep. You'd have been sued right, left and centre. And it would have made the press. Absolutely. And, you know, even needles. If somebody broke a needle, you had to find every single tiny bit of it and prove you'd got a whole needle before they could carry on because you just couldn't afford for bits of metal to be in the clothing. So I worked for them and that made me interested in how you would train people to be like that because they were such skilled people and in those days there was still and we're talking 
1789-80, there were still people hand sewing in that factory. And obviously the tailors were men. The sewing machinists were women, lowly job. The men, the important people doing the really skilled work, were sewing by hand with a thimble, and they were all men. But they were kind to me, and they gave me a thimble, which I still have. So. <laughs> oh, wow, that's really good. This is all in the 70s that you're describing. That's the time in the 70s. Absolutely. Yes, yeah. yeah. But it gave me an interest in how you would create people like that, and it worried me because I couldn't see how we were going to train people like that going forward as an industry. And when I went into industry, and I did, I, w- I went to be a production manager in, well, it, eventually it was Coates Viola, that group in the Midlands. The factories were of the traditional at the time. So everybody had a job and they did one thing yeah. on a garment. And, it, you know, they went down a line with each person doing one operation. So, you know, you'd, you'd be an outside legger or an inside legger or a waistbander or a buttonholer or a zipper. Okay. The zippers were the ones that always impressed me. I always tell the story of the girl on my first sewing line who could do five dozen zips an hour. And I mean with a fly and a top stitch row on trousers. We were making what they called ladies' pants, jeans in corduroy for Marks and Spencers. Okay, my jaw just dropped. She could do five dozen an hour. Yeah, five dozen an hour. The mind boggles. It does, doesn't it? (laughs) Most of us are quite pleased if we've done one, you know. (laughs) I know. And I mean a single one. (laughs) So I worked in industry for 11 years. And initially I worked in factories. I worked my way up to factory management. But there came a point where I wasn't going to be able to be a factory director because there was a person doing that job already and I didn't want to be a factory manager forever and I got poached to go and do sales so I swapped and went and did sales instead and it turned out it was probably a good thing because the writing was on the wall sadly Mm. and our factories were closing we were making abroad because nobody was prepared to pay the price of a British factory so we were making elsewhere yeah which was difficult but made worse in our area because we'd not long before we'd, we'd started shutting coal mines and the men had all been put out of work and then we were putting their wives out of work mm. because they too weren't working. Mm. It was um, difficult times. Yeah. But so my background therefore is in production sewing. Although I started as a dressmaker, I went into production. So hence I'm not very patient with lovely slow methods and doing things properly and fast, speedy. <laughs> we won't hold that against you. <laughs> Thank you. That's very kind. <laughs> Through all that time, I carried on sewing for myself. And I suppose my sewing changed over time. So when I was sewing at school, I was making the pretty dresses to wear for special occasions. I mean, it wouldn't have occurred to me to make a pair of jeans, for instance, or a T-shirt, because those were cheap. But I did make the pretty dresses. If I was going to a wedding or a party, I made whatever it was. And then when I started work, because I was working in factories, but I had to wear a suit, I had to look business-like. I started making suits because it got filthy in the factories and I wasn't prepared to spend large sums of money on things that were going to get grubby. So I made them and I made evening wear if that was required or special occasion wear. But I didn't, again, I still didn't make, you know, everyday clothing, which again is fairly common, I think. And then I met and married a chap in the army and that meant we were going to be moving. And it was all right when we were in two different counties, but when he was posted to Germany, it was a case of, oh, hmm. So at that point, I gave up work and went with him. And that meant I needed evening wear. So I sewed evening wear for lots of military occasions that I went to. And to keep myself occupied, I made them for friends as well. So it was known that I would sew. And I made dresses for people. And I got fabric in exchange for work. It would have been beautiful fabric too, if it's all evening wear fabric. Absolutely. My thing I like best is silk. But now, 
inevitably the name has gone out of my head and I can't think what I'm talking about, but I'm talking about the sort of silk that's just slubby and like sewing cotton, so it's really easy, except yeah. it frays. And I love that. And so we're not really talking about sustainable sewing at this point. We're just talking about sewing. Sewing in general. In general, yeah. Then I had children and they had a lot of hand-me-downs and I still had friends in the industry. So I got quite a lot of Laura Ashley frocks because for the last job I'd been in, we were selling to Laura Ashley, which was very nice. Mm. But even that was being made abroad. And I made lots of dressing up clothes for the children, but not really clothes clothes. So, you know, if they wanted to be a princess or get married or whatever else it was that they wanted to be, I made that. And I carried on making special occasion clothing. Well, I told you I signed up with Instagram and the reason was to publicise the fact that I was teaching. And that was because my children had got big and I hadn't worked except as a volunteer in various things for all the time that they were growing up. And it was a case of, well, now what am I going to do? Yeah. Don't need, they don't need me. What shall I do? And my husband was just starting out as a maths tutor. And so we were setting up a business and it seemed logical that I could set myself up as a sewing tutor. So I did. Yeah. And I don't do it very much because basically we're retired, which is lovely. But on a Tuesday, were you in the area? You could come and sew in my sewing room. Um, and it's only little classes. I mean, it's four people. It's very nice. It's very friendly. It's very cheap. It sounds like it's a, a really lovely group to be in. Thank you. I think it is. They all seem to like it. And people come back. So they, you know, some people do a morning and some people do an afternoon. And I also teach in one of the local shops of a Wednesday evening, similarly small groups. I set it up as a come and make whatever is the next thing for you. Yeah. So, you know, if you hadn't used your sewing machine in 20 years, I'd get you started again. If you've never sewn, I'd get you started. But if you've made everything, but you've never made a coat, yeah. or you need to make a pair of trousers and you don't know how to do it, that's what we do. So I love the fact that it's really varied and I've had a real range of people to do it. And it was because of that, and the fact that I'd set that up, that I went onto Instagram as a way of advertising, as I said earlier, to didn't bring many customers. But on the other hand, I discovered the sewing community and you know, haven't stopped since. I love it. I joined Sew Over 50 pretty much on day one because yeah. Judith put up a post saying, does anybody think this is a good idea? And I was like, I'm in. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was one of the people who posted, a, you know, hello, this is me in August 2018, I think, was when she started. Yes. Yeah, that's right. I just love the fact that there are people that understand where you're coming from and what you're doing and inspire all over the world. It's huge fun. One of the first things I tried was um, Me Made May, the thing Zoe does. Yeah. And I'm sure there will be other people out there who will resonate with this. I had become mummy. I lived in a pair of jeans and a t-shirt. It was long or short-sleeved according to the season, uh -huh. but I didn't ever wear anything else because that was what mummy looked like. And mummy didn't ever go anywhere smart or do anything important. So Basically, that's what she looked like. And um, it's very boring and a bit lost. You know, where was Trisha? This was mummy, not me. Yes. And um, Zoe, because of her me made May and the fact that I was supposed to look at my wardrobe and decide what I liked and where the things I'd made, I thought, why aren't I wearing the dresses that I've made just for everyday life? This is just silly. So they all came out of the cupboard and I started reimagining myself. And so that is how I came to be who I am today, wearing actually most often a pinafore because that's just wonderful. So comfortable and so easy to wear and much more changeable than a dress because you can stick things underneath it. True. Or over the top of it or whatever. And yes, I do still wear my jeans, but they're mostly mended. So they've, they've got a history <laughs> to them. 
they have a history. They're all old. I can't remember. Uh, no, I can remember the last time I bought a garment, Maria, but I'm not good at it. I hate shopping and I don't like spending money. So having gone on this journey and discovered what I liked and realized that actually I have far too much fabric and far too many patterns and I never need to buy another piece of fabric or another pattern really. Not for me. You know, I can sort of justify it for a gift for somebody else, but yeah. it's for me actually do I need it? How badly do I need it? And the answer is probably not. You know, I have pretty much everything I need, aren't I lucky? Yeah. I'm aware that I'm very privileged, but still. So I signed up with Boycott Fashion. And what's that all about? Extinction Rebellion. It's part of that, which seems to be an international thing, Extinction Rebellion. And they have all sorts of protests and they get very cross about people wearing new clothes and the fashion industry in particular they get very cross about and fast fashion which I can understand because even in back in the day when I was working in factories it wasn't as fast as it is now and when I was making for Marks we were making quality garments that lasted ditto the Laura Ashy stuff so it's disappointing Mm. shall I say that what we make now in much of the industry is cheap rubbish in poor quality fabric that's not true of everybody I shouldn't say that really should I but I could see that this was something that I could, I can't, I don't want to go and do, I'm not going to go and lie down on a pavement in London or whatever. That's not going to happen. But I could sign up yeah. and I could talk about it. So I signed up basically saying that I'm going to boycott fashion because I've reached peak stuff. That was the phrase I used, peak stuff. And I'm lucky I can remake, remodel, recycle. So that was my thing. You may have seen, I've embroidered that on a pair, of, on a patch and it's on a pair of my jeans <laughs> with the date, uh, June 2019. So from that date, I have bought no clothing and no fabric and no patterns. I have bought haberdashery because there is a limit to what eventually you run out of stuff. (laughs) Eventually you run out of thread. You do. While I'm very good at using whatever colour I happen to have, I do need to have thread. And it depends a bit what you're making. It does. Basically, from that point, I said, okay, this for me, this is relatively easy. I don't need to buy, so I won't. So I haven't. Which means you see me currently wearing... Uh, no, they can't see me, but you can see. I'm wearing a, yes, I an orange shirt made out of linen, which was left over from, gosh, when was that wedding? Lucy was nine. So that's 14 years ago. I made a dress and coat combination that I wore to a friend's wedding. Yep. So that was obviously before I rediscovered myself. I was making posh clothing. So I made a linen suit and jacket. And this is the leftovers. And this, therefore, is a wearable toile for a green linen shirt dress that I made as part of Sew Together for Summer. Ah, yes. I know that challenge is. Do you remember that? Everybody made shirt dresses? That's what this is. And I'm wearing a pinafore, obviously. Of course. And this is made from one of my students' husband's pairs of jeans because he wanted her to take them to the charity shop. And she said, I'm not taking those to the charity shop. They're covered in paint and they're falling to bits and there are holes in them. I'm taking them to Trisha. (laughs) So she brought them along. And she said, here you are, three pairs of jeans. What are you going to make? <laughs> so, <laughs> so I make it beautiful. That's being sustainably thoughtful. <laughs> it's one of the things, the great advantages of being a sewer is the number of people who, oh, Trisha will take it. And I get given all sorts of stuff. I hope I'm not the only person in the world that happens to. No, no. Every so often at work, there'll be a bag on my desk. It's like, okay, thank you. Mm-hmm. I'm always thankful. Yeah. And I never say no, because I don't always want what's in the bag, but sometimes just what you needed. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) And you never know when it'll come in handy. 
And funny that I have a, a bag that I was given recently by, by one of my sisters-in-law. And every time I post something that I've made from that, she goes, I could have made that. Yes, you could. <laughs> <laughs> she was right. But she didn't. She gave it to me. What other challenges do you get involved with? Well, the Magam Sew Along, which is the one that yes. Sue and, and Susie and Helen were on to talk about, weren't they? Yes. Yes, so I have done this month. I didn't do last month, and I don't do every month. I do like the challenges because they give you a purpose or a reason to make something when you haven't got a particular reason to make something. But I don't like making something just to make it. It needs to have a bit of purpose. Yes. So last month, I just didn't have the time, and I, I had other things I needed to do. But this month, I have had a go. And actually, I have finished it. I just haven't posted it yet. Um, <laughs> we'll see it when this podcast goes live. It'll be on your Instagram account. <laughs> With a bit of luck, yeah. <laughs> yes, because it has to be up before the end of the month. Oh, remember that with Magam Sew Along, yes, it's for the month. It can be posted any time. They don't, they don't mind if you're late, yeah. But um, I meant it needs to be posted at some point, in theory. <laughs> and it requires you to not be doing something else. So... This morning, I was teaching a friend how to make masks. Every time I posted a picture of a mask, she said, I don't understand how you're making them so fast. What are you doing? Mm. So today she came and we kept two meters apart. <laughs> so she's watching me <laughs> on my sewing machine as I push them through the machine, demonstrating basically how to make four masks in one time and one go. That was quite fun. It was nice to have a person here. So obviously then it made sense to post the pictures of the masks I'd made. Yesterday, I posted mending because I get involved in mending too. Again, I've always mended. I think it's something that, well, again, I don't know about you, but when I would learn to sew at school, we were taught to mend. Mm -hmm. I don't think we were taught to mend when I went through school, but I understand why you would be mending and how it's a life skill. It most certainly is. I've you'll be horrified. I've still got some samples from the fourth form at school. So I'd have been 15. 14, 15, that sort of age. So there's a bit of knitting. It's clearly my yeah. knitting because it's dreadful. And then we had to make a hole in it and then we had to mend it <laughs> to show how to do it. And I have a little piece of white sheet, again, with a hole in it, demonstrating mm -hmm. how to patch it. Hand sewing, machine sewing, how to neaten the inside. It's all there in the book. Great reference material. Oh, absolutely. And every now and again, I post it on Instagram. So at school, we were taught to mend, but we also, I told you, I boarded. So yes. Saturday morning entertainment, one person in charge of the whole boarding house, so 60 girls and the matron, usually the assistant matron, she was in charge of all 60 of you. I mean, it just wouldn't be allowed now. No. One young woman was in charge of us all and we had to sit for two hours in our common room and do our mending. And some people were better at that than others. Some people never did any. They just went around with things with holes in because obviously you didn't have a mother to do the mending for you and if you didn't do the mending it didn't happen but you know you were supposed to sew your name tapes on if anything had fallen off or you'd been given a new piece of uniform or darn your socks or later your tights and we all went around with you know railway lines tram lines up the, the tights where you oh yes better done on you frankly than off but you know so we did mending at school so I've always mended but it's only again that's relatively recently that I discovered there's a whole world of visible mending and the people who do that are just amazing again it was because I took part in a challenge at visible mend and she's her name's Kate she's regularly runs a challenge where you you know she puts up a prompt and you post a mend that goes with the prompt in some way okay. shape or form and I've joined in that before and last year 
it was such a fun thing that two of the people who'd been joining in set up another new thing, which is called At Mending Mayhem. And they, two of them, really enthusiastic. It just meant that if you could always, if you've mended something, you can say, I've done some mending and you know, this is what I've done. And there's a whole another world of people who do mending to go and follow and see what they're up to and to inspire you. And my mending pales into insignificance when you've been and looked at proper people who can mend I just happen to do it too. But I intersect with the people who serve. Well, now that you've mentioned them, I've not seen them. So I think that they would be a, a great learning resource. No, they are. They're brilliant. Go and have a look. It's a fascinating hashtag. I mean, I follow the hashtag and the group, obviously. But, you know, there's, there are other people who do Monday mending. So Monday mending is definitely a hashtag. And you can always find people mending on a Monday. And more recently, there's mend day oh. Wednesday which was quite funny because it turned out that there was once a band called that right anyway I think pretty much if you go and look at men's day now the band's not there <laughs> there's lots of mending though I'll keep that for <laughs> trivia with my husband <laughs> the, the make to and mend thing has become a bit of a thing with me and along with the not buying fabric not buying clothing not buying patterns I mend everything in sight and I'm forever trying to spread the word that this is what we should all be doing. So occasionally I'm, I posted a mending a jeans zip, which is a common yeah. mending thing to need to do. It just happened. I'd got this pair that needed mending. And yes. Sarah from Pattern Union had posted a, a thing of how to do it. And I thought, hurrah, she's reminded me how to do it easily. That's the method I'm going to use. So I posted and obviously I, I tagged her because it was her method. I had used the method before, but not in ages. And it was really nice to be reminded that there's a really easy way of doing this. <laughs> if you can sew in a zip, you can sew in a replacement zip in a pair of jeans. It's a doddle. So that's why I didn't post my finished shirt for the Magam Sew Along. You've got the talent and the enthusiasm to be able to get it done on time. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. With Sober 50, what have you gotten out of being part of the group? And how would you recommend it to people who are thinking of joining Sober 50? Okay, well, there are lots of things. One is that it is a really, really positive group. I don't think I've ever seen a mean word from anybody. Even if you're being teased that what you put up is not really very good or doesn't actually suit you because you've made a complete hash of it, it's genuinely heartfelt, kind teasing, not, well, what the bloody hell she been up to? You know, it's a really mm. genuine warmth in all the comments and people are very kind to one another and they're full of advice and suggestions and inspiration it's a great place to go and look what other people your age are wearing and what it looks like on them because it's lovely to see beautiful thin <clears throat> youngsters <laughs> tall in my instance i would say too they're tall yes the they are on pattern. yes and i'm five foot three if i'm very lucky i think i'm shorter than you are well there you go <laughs> yeah proportion and balance is really important no matter what your height is it most certainly is so it's lovely to be able to go and see people who look like you wearing the sort of clothes that you'd like to wear because why shouldn't we wear what everybody else is wearing it's just it's nice to see it on somebody a bit older and see how they wear it and how they make it successful yeah and also to give you the confidence that you can wear it too and I think there's been a lot of that, particularly the, thinking back, jumpsuit. Can you really wear a jumpsuit if you're over 50? Along with, can you wear a pinafore dress? You know, last time I wore a pinafore dress, yeah, I was at school. Yeah, I'm still wearing them. Funny enough, I met Judith in Edinburgh. We were both wearing pinafore dresses. Hey-ho. <laughs> 
I mean, we hadn't planned it, we just were. Yeah, I expect we could have predicted it, to be fair, but there you go. It was quite funny. <laughs> Look, I'm still into jumpsuits. I love jumpsuits. Do you? I have to admit, I mean, I made two. I made dungarees, so, yep. and I made something more. That actually was very 80s. It was quite sort of big and loose and tight and what have you. I always felt as if I was dressing up when I wore them, and I found them a bit tedious, frankly, to get on and off. If you put another layer on to make yourself warm enough, you've got too many things to take off. That's right. And uh, Yeah, no. Um, so I've given them to two younger people who both thought they'd like to own such a thing. See? <laughs> so they've gone to friends of my children. <laughs> sustainable. You're still being sustainable. Oh, yes. <laughs> I wanted them to go somewhere that's to somebody who would like them. I suppose that's one of the things I feel about charity shopping. A lot of people, it's all right because I've donated it so I can buy something else. Mm. But actually, if you go in the shops, a lot of the stuff doesn't ever make it onto the shelves because they've got just too much stuff. And if it's not in really good nick, why would anybody else want it if you don't? Yeah. So I try and turn things into other things rather than dumping them on the charity shop. Part of me feels that it is a bit like dumping. Yeah. We need it. The secondhand trade is good, and I like the fact that it exists. And I do, if I've got something that's nice that it just seems a shame to cut up, I will take it to them. But it does need to be in good nick, otherwise mm. it just isn't fair. Mm, that's right. On the other hand, I've had, some, I've had some real bargains where, you know, there's a hole in it, and I thought, well, I could fix that, or it's got a button missing. What a shame. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what's been absolutely amazing. Under COVID-19, which is obviously horrible, and it's yes. across the world. yes. Though over 50 is set up for it because all my friends, my friends, mm-hmm. are on there. And I already talked to them by writing, typing in a DM. Exactly. Whereas all my other friends, I'm used to seeing. You know, I don't ring them up because I see them. That's right. I don't write to them because I see them. Mm. Only, of course, I don't at the moment. And particularly at the beginning, I think I'd have gone completely mad without the community that I know on So Over 50. And yes, there are people that I know that aren't part of that group, but that group's the main area that I keep an eye on and watch and follow and chat with. And while we've been in social isolation in so many different countries, you're right, they've kept us all connected. Yes, they have, absolutely. And there have been some mad things in amongst there, you know, I mean, the isolation headbands. Yes. That was fun. (laughs) That was so fun. It was. It made everybody giggle. And I've never worn headbands, and I did. Did you? I did. (laughs) And I haven't worn them since the early 80s, (laughs) when you had scarves around you everywhere, didn't you? Scarves on my head, scarves around my neck, scarves around my legs, you know, over the tops of my boots. Oh, yes, yes. Yes? All of those challenges come from the voluntary work that Sandy, Judith and Susan do every day. And it's almost two years that they've been doing this now. No, they're amazing. Yes. I mean, thank God for the occasional guest editor. I only did it once. And gosh, is it quite a lot of work because you're keeping an eye and you're trying to make sure that you commented back and thanked people for commenting and what have you. It's hard work. And as a guest editor, you realise that the comments will come through for, what, two days? Yes. Yeah. 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 Easily two days, 24 hours a day, two days. 24, yeah, absolutely, 24 hours a day, yes. Thank you so much for being one of the guest editors for them. It was a very small thing. As I say, I only did it once. Goodness, it was, you know, it, it gave me an insight, a very small insight into just how much work they do on our behalf. Yeah. Because I wouldn't be without it. It's wonderful. They've been a great community service for everybody. Well, they have. The So 50 Visible yes. 
is a really interesting and absolutely why shouldn't we be represented i agree so yes and it's making sure that we're visible and we're visible in so many different ways no agreed i think they're full of ideas and they're always on the ball and they keep us all going they do which is marvelous fine yeah trisha thank you so much for coming on to sober 50 thursday on so organized style podcast You've taken us through your love of sustainability, your skill and, again, love of make, do and mend and sewing and how you have also been a guest editor for Sew Over 50. <laughs> Only a very small one. Once, Maria. Once, yes. <laughs> and you've experienced the work that goes into... Indeed. I was, I was amazed at how much work it was. I suppose, I mean, to an extent we know that because it's quite a lot of work doing our own Instagram. Yes. You know, keeping tabs on who's looking at what you've been up to and, you know, commenting back at things mm. and looking at everybody else's stuff. But what they do is amazing. They do. As you said, it's always positive. They give us lots of things to learn from. I've learned so much from mm. Sandy with her Instagram knowledge. Oh, she's amazing. I, I only discovered stories because Sandy showed me what to do. And generally, I still forget about stories. And I only, end, I see, only seem to post there when somebody else has posted something I've done. And I think, oh, thank you. <laughs> I can put that to my story. It says I can. They do so much from encouraging us through to putting together the story so that we can learn more mm. and it's wonderful community it is thank you so much maria i've really enjoyed this it's been lovely to meet you lovely to meet you too and lovely to make sure that people know your story and get on the sustainability track and the make do and mend track as well <laughs> thank you thanks again have a lovely day listeners so organized style podcast is produced by me maria thea harris with permission of trisha sound by bensound.com you can subscribe to so organized style podcast spelt with an s not a z on apple google stitcher spotify iHeartRadio, Castbox, and libsyn our podcast distributor post any questions or podcast suggestions on our podcast instagram account or our facebook page we look forward to joining you in your sewing room next time stay safe everyone <laughs>